Welcome to the City View Church podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. I've made this call more than once in my life. Boys, I'm on my way home. And when I get home, this better be done. Trashes better be out. Dogs better be fed. Dishes better be put away. You name it, it's probably been called and said. You all made that call if your kids are old enough where you can leave them home and you make that phone call or they, you, whatever it is, a text, you said, I'm on my way home and this better be done. Paul makes this call at the end of, or at the end of his letter, 2 Corinthians says, I'm on my way and this better be done. This final part, this final chapter, this final letter of Paul to the Corinthian church is a, it's a big deal, big confrontation, big sort of, you better get your stuff together. I don't want to have to come and reprimand you again. That's Paul's final letter. And I was thinking, I wonder what Paul would say to the Christian church today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. And God, this, as we read your word, Lord, your word, is, it's meant to encourage and lift us up, and it's meant to sharpen us and help us become the men and women, Lord, that you've called us to be. So Lord, I ask that today we might receive your, what you have for us, and may we respond in the way you've called us to respond. Jesus, as we go into this Christmas season, and for some of us it, is, it brings up difficult memories. For others of us, it's, it's busy, it's stressful. For some of us, it's joyful. Lord, wherever our emotions take us, may you be our foundation. Because you're consistent. You never change. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus, I ask that you bless churches throughout the valley today. Jesus, I ask that you would be seen, that your name would be praised. Holy Spirit, may you fill your people with power. Lord, I pray, um, God, that you would do miraculous works with us at Westtown, Baptist, Calvary Community, Jesus Church, Cross Church, CCV, Apollo. God, I ask that you would do a great work. And God, do a great work here in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to City View. If this is your first Sunday, today we are finishing a study that we started months ago in the book of 2 Corinthians. Today we're going to be landing the plane of that book as we finish out this year. We've got um, just getting ready for Christmas and then starting January 7th, we'll be starting the book of Revelation. Um, there should be a lot of fun, um, should be, I, I, I'm looking forward to it, I've been setting it for a long time now, um, should be a, a lot of fun for, for all of us, um, so I just want to encourage you that it's starting next year, the book, as we go through the book of Revelation, every of one of our belong groups will actually be diving a little deeper into the book of Revelation, so if you have never been in a belong group, you're going to want to go, you're going to want to make sure you sign up and get into those, because there's going to be more stuff spoken of in those groups that I'm not going to share here, not that I'm trying to keep it secret or whatever, it's just I have a limited amount of time, and they have a little more time, and they can go a little deeper, so I just want to encourage you to, 
to go get in a belong group, but we are in 2 Corinthians right now. Sign-ups for those, I, those are like, it's, uh, you'll get emails, and we'll talk about it and all that kind of stuff, but just want to put that buzz in there. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. How many of you noticed Josh and Adrian matched today? Anybody else notice that other than me? Did they notice they matched today? Did you notice you matched your wife today, Josh? <laughs> you did. Starting early. They're so young. I thought it was cute. They both wore like a green with a white and white shoes and jeans. His jeans were black. They were a little not exactly the same, but still, that has nothing to do with any of my sermon. Sorry, that was a side note. I put it in my notes here. Josh and Adrian matching. That was, I, I typed this on Friday. Just kidding, I didn't <laughs> type it this morning. Chapter 13. This is the third time I am coming to you, Paul says. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I previously, previously said, when present the second time, and though now absent, I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I will not spare anyone. Since you are seeking for proof of the Christ who speaks in me and who is not weak towards you but mighty in you, for indeed he was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God, for we also are weak in him, yet we will live with power because of the power of God directed towards you. As Paul is closing this, this final part of his letter, he is warning them again that he is coming, and he does not want to have to come and point out their sin. So what he's saying right here is he's landing. He's like, I do not want to have to come and be the bad guy. I don't. And I was, as I said a little bit ago, I wonder what Paul would say to the Christian church today here in America. I wonder what he would say to the Christian church today here in Arizona. Did you know, did you know this fact? Arizona, when it comes to team, like volunteer hours, Arizona is number 50 of the 50 states when it comes to people willing to give of their time to help others. I'm going to get there. Number 50. That means we are a lazy state that is self-centered. If Paul wrote to the church in Arizona, he would say, you're lazy. You're self-serving. You only care about you and your time and what you want to do with your hours. That's all you care about. And then he would talk about your finances. He would say, in Arizona, you are number 50 when it comes to what you give your money towards. He goes, I see how many Starbucks you're building and how many coffee shops you build, and I see how many of you put so many things under your tree, but when it comes to giving towards things that are kingdom-minded, you are 50 of the 50 states. Arizona, you need help. Those are just two things. That's just a statistic that came out like two weeks ago. Arizona's number 50 when it comes to, isn't that sad? I think Utah's number one. And you're like, well, that's not the same in every church. Oh, no, you should, I, I meet with churches all the time, and they all struggle with the exact same thing. Nobody ever wants to volunteer, and nobody really gives. Now, we, you guys are very generous, I'll be honest. We have a very generous, generous church. I'm very thankful. 
Time-wise, I think we could all serve a little more. Some of you serve a ton. Some of you are like so faithful. Others of you are lazy, if I can be honest. Paul's really honest. Like he, he says, if you look, he says, I, I'm not going to spare any of my words when I come to anyone. I'm not going to spare it. Paul here, he, he makes four calls of action in this last final 14 verses, these four calls of action. And I might have, thank you for fixing, Josh, the edit. Because I messed up. These four calls, he says, he's going to make a call to repentance. He's going to make a call to refinement, a call to reflection, and a call to righteousness. He's, he's going to say, talk about these four things. The first things he says is a call to repentance. In the first verses one through four, Paul is calling the church to repent. He says, to those of you who have sinned, or to those of you who are sinning. It's this, for those of you who are living in this state, living in this place, living and active, actively sinning in your life, not seeking repentance, not really caring, you're going to church, and you don't care that you are constantly living in this state of sin. He's calling them out. He's saying, I'm coming again, and I've heard about you. I do not want to have to talk to you face to face. I would like you to start fixing it. Start getting back on track with the Lord. That's, that's what Paul is. He's wrapping it. This is the, his final words here. Now he ends nicer. But the first 10 verses, he's like, church, we're supposed to be the example to the world. that the, we, should, we should look different than everybody else. The church should not look anything like the world. The church should reflect Jesus in everything they do, in their loving of their neighbors, in their willingness to give of their time, talents, and treasure. The church should be a picture of Jesus in every single thing. It is looking at this church in Corinth, which has influences of, of distraction and sin all around them. He's saying, church, you've got to get your act together. Verses three and four, again, he's having to defend himself. This entire letter, he's having to defend himself. Because they don't respect him because he's, he's going through hard times. They don't respect him because he's not the most eloquent of speakers. They don't respect him because he's, he, is, um, he doesn't have all the money or all the fame or all the wealth. They, they don't have the same respect. They look at these other guys who, who have it all together. Their, their amazing dress, their amazing orders. They, they, they never go through any pain. They never have any criticism from the Roman government. Seems like the Roman government loves them. And he's like, wait a minute, why do you guys hate me? And he says in verses 3 and 4, he says, Since you are seeking for proof of the Christ who speaks in me, he's not weak towards you, but mighty in you, meaning you, you think because of how I am and how I talk that, that these are weak words. He goes, you'll see the power of Jesus. You'll see it in how I have to speak to you. You'll see it in my response. That's, that's what he's saying. He's like, you're going to see the power of God, but it's not the way you want he goes, you're going to see it in, in, the, in what my response is to you. He says, I will come with strength, and you will see how mighty Jesus is. And then he says there, 
in verse 4, he says, for indeed he was crucified because of weakness. This is the paradox of the cross. The cross, where only bad people died, the mightiest was placed on. This place where weakness was seen, where Jesus now is seen as the weak human that he was, and all his weakness, and all his frailty, and all his humanness was able to die. Because you saw that weakness. But you see the power of God in his resurrection. He says, for crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. Jesus rose again. For we also are weak in him, yet we will live with him because of the power of God directed in you. Paul is, is getting this church to start thinking and looking inside and realizing what the death of Jesus did for them, and yet they're still living for themselves. He's trying to get them to understand how much Jesus did. Jesus died in weakness. He rose in power. You have this power in you to live, yet you're still choosing to live in sin. You're still choosing to live the way you want. You're still choosing this, and one day I'm going to come. I'm coming soon, and I do not want to have to confront you. For those of you who are parents, Parents of kids who get in trouble, isn't that the worst thing when you have to come down on them? It hurts inside, especially when you know you have to take something that you know they love away. I hate it. I hate it. And Paul's like, guys, I don't, please just get your life back on trouble. He's, the first thing he's, it's this call to repentance. And he says to this church, he says, you are trying so hard to prove me wrong. And now he challenges them. I want you to look inside yourself. Verse five. He says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Now we pray to God and that you do no wrong, but that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear unapproved. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. Verse 9, for we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we also pray for, that you be made complete. For this reason I am writing these things while absent, so that when present, I need not use severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up, not for tearing down. The second call that Paul gives to this church is a call of refinement. A call of refinement. Paul says, test yourself. Examine yourself. See if you truly are a Christian. 
This, this is his call to this church. Look inside yourself. He says, if I look inside myself, I can prove that I'm a believer. That's what he says. That's what he says there in verse 6. If I looked inside myself, he said, but I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. So he says, he said, I wouldn't fail this test. The idea of testing or examination is to see if something is genuine, to see if something is real. And that's what Paul is wanting them to do. He's wanting them to look back and see, okay, are you really a believer and follower of Jesus Christ or not? If you were to go under the examination, if you were to be tested, and this idea of testing is sort of the, it's the idea of, of when metals are refined and then they are brought down to, the, you, you get rid of all the dross and all the bad stuff out of gold. In those days, what, what they would do with when they would make these statues, it has the same idea of testing. When they would make these statues of, of marble, if a piece of it would break, say a finger or an ear or the nose, what they would do is they would recreate that part of the body out of wax, and they would attach it. But then a person who's going to buy this would test it. And the testing would be putting it under heat to see if any of it melts away, to see if any of it is not genuine. Paul says, church, test yourselves. Examine your own hearts. Look inside you and see if you would pass the test. And we don't do that. We don't do that a lot with ourselves. You're like, Jim, this is Christmas time. Shouldn't we be happier? I'm sorry. It's called 2 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm sure Paul didn't want to write this chapter either. Some of his, the person writing it is like, Paul, do you really, can you just say, I'll see you soon? YOLO? Or whatever the new thing is, YKL. Dubbed a whole bunch of letters, Y-L-K-L, whatever that. You only live once or whatever it is. You think somebody tried to convince Paul that not in the letter here at chapter 13. See, I think that's why there's a problem with the American church is because we don't do chapter 13. And I think we stopped doing it a long time ago and that's why we have problems with sexuality in our young people. I think that's why you have pastors preaching just frilly things. I think that's why you have so many of the problems here in America that we have today because people have stopped refining their own hearts. Saying, God, what do you want to do in me? Because when you honestly do that and when you let God start looking inside you, things start to change in you. It hurts. It's harmful. There's things that you've got to like get out and be like, God, I'm sorry for this. God, I need to repent for this. God, I need you. And this is a constant, this needs to be a constant state. But this idea of testing and examining ourselves, it's nothing new to Scripture. It's not like it's the first time that Paul's written this. It's not like it's the first time that this is written in the Bible. David writes all about this testing of his heart throughout his Psalms. This is a constant state of David's heart. Now David, it says of David, it says that he was a man after God's own heart. So it says in Acts. He was a man that pursued God's heart. God applauded him. He, he's a man that truly loved God. Yet he also is a man 
who had a whole lot of sin. His son raped his daughter. He slept with another man's wife. He murdered the dude. He counted his armies when God told him not to, to pride himself about what he had. But you want to know what set David apart? It was he refined himself. He allowed God in for God to cut away the things that needed to be. David was far from perfect. But Jesus is so far perfect that Jesus forgave him. David writes this in Psalm 17, verse 3. He says, you have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you find nothing. I have purpose that my mouth will not transgress. Psalm 26, verse 2. David says, examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. Do you know why he could say these things? One, I think David lived in a constant state of, God, I messed up. Now, it wasn't like that, that didn't give him uh, a, the right or an excuse to continue to live in sin. That's not, that's not what David was like. Well, you know, I can do what I, I'll go sleep with Bathsheba and then I'll ask God for forgiveness tomorrow. No, that's not, that's not how David lived. But it was when he was confronted or when God confronted him, he was quick to repent. David writes in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there, is, there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in your everlasting way. Haggai, the prophet, writes this, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That's what God says to, the, to Haggai. And then Haggai writes again, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. When was the last time we sat and allowed God to consider our ways. Or we considered our ways and we allowed God to test us and to look at our own hearts. And for God to say, hey, there's pride in you. Hey, there's anger in you. Hey, there's lust in you. Hey, there's greed in you. Hey, there's laziness in you. When was the last time we just sat we just sang that song, All Hail, well, I mean, you guys sort of sang the song, All Hail King Jesus. I mean, I think that'd be another thing that Paul would be like, okay, you guys are singing to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but you guys like shout louder at other things than you do when it comes to singing to our Savior. And I wonder what God, what he would say to test our hearts. What if we did right here, these, these one, two, three, four sections of Scripture, what, what if we just took those every day and just said, God, search me and know my heart? What if that's how you started your morning? God, test, test me. 
What, what if before we went and did things with our kids, like before we reprimanded them for something they did? I don't know about you, but if I did this every time, I, it, I would be a so much better parent. If I paused for just a moment and said, okay, God, test me. Am I, am I mad and am I, am I gonna respond because of arrogance in my own heart because my kids sort of embarrassed me right now? Or am I responding and saying something because it needs to be said? And God, is my response gonna be out of love or out of anger? How is my response right now? God, test me right now. Let me consider my ways. What if that's, and that you walked into your boss, and before you walked into your boss to have a conversation, that's how you did it. Okay, God, test me right now. God, help me know. What if before we walked into work, what if before we went to our family outings, before we went to Christmas Eve at that person's house, and it's your aunt and uncle, whoever it is, and you're like, oh no, I have to see these people. Help me with Uncle Mike before. God, help me. And, and what, if, what if before anything we did, we said, God, Examine me right now. What if before we, what if we got to church early every Sunday? We got here before the five-minute countdown started. Every Sunday, we got here early. We had our kids in their class. What if we got here and we're like, okay, God, examine my heart. God, I want, I want to be able to worship you this morning. I don't want to have any other distractions. I don't want to have any sin. And God, I just want to, now it doesn't mean you're perfect, it just means you're letting God refine those things away, getting those things out of you. Imagine, I, Paul is calling the Corinthian church to test and examine their hearts, to allow God to refine them so that they might become who God is calling them to be. The goal of refinement is so that they might not fail the test. Why do teachers have you take practice tests? Is it to show you how stupid you are? No, it's to help you succeed. That's why they do it. That's why they do practice tests. It's not to say, look at how dumb you are. Hey, 50% of you failed. Good job, you failers. No, it's like, I want you to succeed. Paul's goal is that they might be complete. Complete means that it's the idea of somebody pursuing integrity, pursuing to live their life in the way God desires. The third call that Paul has here in this section is a call to reflection, to reflect on their faith in Jesus. What does it look like to pass this test that Paul's talking about? What does it look like to, to pass? Like, what would a passing grade look like? Is a passing grade just somebody who goes to church? Is that a passing grade? Is a passing grade somebody who just sings real loud? Is a passing grade somebody who serves? Is a passing grade somebody who, who gives great, uh, great amount of money? Is that what a passing grade looks like? What is a passing Christian, what does this look like to pass? Paul talks about it. He talks about it all throughout his letters. Here are a couple things of what passing would look like. I found this in a book I read. True faith, a passing faith, so what does this look like? True faith produces an overwhelming sense of conviction of their sin and causes a believer to mourn and humble oneself before God. That's what a passing faith, true faith, is, is somebody who, when they sin, there's, there's, there's mourning in that. There's that idea of going, God, I'm sorry. What are they behind me? Oh, yeah. True faith pursues righteousness. 
pursues it. So when you look at your life and you go, okay, am I passing? What are you pursuing with your life? Are you pursuing righteousness? Are you pursuing to to live and and to live the way God's calling you to live? Or are you pursuing to do your own thing? It's an attraction and a desire of things of God. True faith has evidence of the Holy Spirit in their life. That's true faith. True faith is marked by a desire to obey Jesus. True faith is evident in a love for both God and people. So if you're going, okay, how am I, if I were to take this test, what is this test? Well, these are some things. You can look going, okay, how how am I doing on this? Am I, do I feel conviction of when I sin? Some of you might be like, "Uh, I don't. Or I do. This was not like the most comfortable servants to put together. If I'm going to be honest, because it's like, man, this is. See, Paul desires. Paul's desire is that they become complete. John MacArthur writes this: A true spiritual inventory does not focus on external behavior or religious activities, but on the internal attitude of the heart. Because we could do a whole lot of things. As I've been studying the book of Revelation, the church of Ephesus is an amazing church. But the one thing they did is they stopped loving Jesus. We can do all these things and forget Jesus in it. Paul says multiple times in this letter, actually he says close to 50 times, He speaks about prayer, the importance of prayer. And he says, guys, my heart is to build you up, not tear you down. Parents, those who are parents right now, that should be your goal as well, to build your kids up, not tear them down. And and that can be difficult sometimes because sometimes your kids are such knuckleheads. And they do the same wrong thing over and over and over and over and over again. And you just feel like you're just constantly saying you're just negative. And I, I struggle too. I can I cannot be a building up dad. And my wife was, I love how she just is so quick to say, hey, honey, that's not how we should respond. And I'm like, I'm such a bad word. Paul says, guys, my heart is to build you up. I don't, I don't want to write this, but I write this to build you up, not tear you down. So does that mean you don't say harsh things? No. You say harsh things. Harsh things build people up when it's said in a way of love, but when it's said in a way of hate and not caring, a good coach knows how to coach their kids up, not tear them down. A good coach knows how to say what gets a kid going. A good coach. A bad coach will just tear their kids down, and then the kids just feel defeated and don't want to do anything. That's a bad coach. A bad coach will just yell with no point of building up. A good coach might yell a little, but with the goal of helping you go. I'm sure as Paul's writing this, I don't think he's writing with a smile. And he's like, oh, 
And if I have to come, I hope I'm not severe. <laughs> Heart. Exclamation point. No, I'm sure Paul is. I can't believe I'm having to write another letter about their sin. When are they going to get it? Now, here's what many believe. Many believe that they took this letter and they changed. And that's why we have the letter. Because if they didn't change, many think they, we wouldn't have this letter because Paul's like, this church would have just fallen apart and died. Many believe that they heeded this final letter and they actually changed. Paul says, we need to reflect and look inside. Look in our hearts. Look in our hearts and see what God wants to do. Verse 11 through 14, Paul writes, finally. Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Will be with, will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Paul's final call is a call to live righteously. It's a call to live right. It's a call to live the way that God has called us to. That's Paul's final words. His final words, his final key words are found right there in verse 11. His final charge to what he wants to see them, to how he, can, how he wants to encourage them to live. Here's Paul's final words. He says to them, be complete. Be made complete. That means aim for perfection. Aim for perfection. Aim for being. Doesn't mean be perfect. Aim for that. Not aim for laziness. You know, have you ever seen those people that's like, they just show up to work and you know they're going to be lazy because it's like that's what they aim for. They don't care about anything and they just are, not, they're just like, eh. And they just show up. And you're like, why are you five minutes late? Uh, you know, I slipped in. You're like, oh my gosh. Will you just try hard one time? It's just like that. Paul's like, aim for perfection. Aim for it. You may, you're probably going to miss it, but if you aim for perfection, you're at least going to get closer than if you aim for the wrong door. Paul says, finally, brethren, rejoice. Be made complete. This idea of being made complete means to be restored, to be reformed, to be corrected, to be mended, to do, to allow that he, as he ends, he's going to end on the Holy Spirit, to allow the Holy Spirit to change your life. See, all these things can't be done in your own strength. Your own strength, you will fail all the time, all day, every day, you will fail. The Holy Spirit is what gives us the power, which I'm going to end on that, but I'm going to tell you now. As we go through these last few things, the Holy Spirit will give you the power to be complete. He says, be comforted. He, that doesn't mean, like, you know, go around comforting one another. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, okay, go around and hug each other and make sure everybody's doing a good job. No, he's saying the idea of being comforted is listen to the words that I'm writing. Take heed to what is being written. Don't just read it and ignore it. Any, any of you ever at your job, you send out an email or somebody gets the email and it's like some people, no matter how many times you tell them, they don't ever pay attention to it. They're not comforted by it, meaning they don't take heed. That's the idea of Paul again. Have you ever met those people? Do you know those people? It's like, how many times do I have to tell you? Paul says, listen, that's what he's saying. Be comforted. Take heed to the words that Paul 
is saying. Listen to him. Be assured and be consoled. Turn back to God. Listen and do what is good. That's all what's being said in this short statement. Listen to it, be encouraged by it, and do it. And then he says, be like-minded. Be unified. Pursue unity in the church. Unity in faith. Unity in belief. Unity in purpose. Unity in mission. Unity in ministry. There's so many times that we are so divided as people. We're getting ready to go into 2024. Should be a fun, a fun year. Something's happening towards November. And I'm sure there will be Facebook flurries and Twitter or whatever it's called, X somethings or whatever. There will be so much fun talked about. We should be united. That doesn't mean we all agree. Doesn't mean everybody starts wearing the same clothes and we vote for the same. Per- no, it means we have the same purpose in mind, Jesus Christ. We have the same goal, the same mission that everybody we know comes to know Jesus. That's the goal. He says, be like-minded. Be like-minded as a church. Unity of faith. Unity in belief. Unity in purpose. Unity in our mission. Unity in our ministry. That's what Paul is saying. Be like-minded in what we are, who we are as believers in Jesus Christ. Then he says, and live in peace. Love and care. Be long-suffering with each other. Have nothing to do with being critical or divisive, prideful or self-righteous. That's what Paul is saying. Can you imagine a church like this? Believers in the church do these few things. Paul promises that God will be with you. He says, as he closes verse 11, he says, the God of love and peace will be with you. Living this way, though, it's not done by your power. Paul gives us how to live this way in that last verse, verse 14. And he talks about greet one another with a holy kiss. That was just tradition. Just kiss on the side. All the saints greet you. He's letting them know that, hey, everybody says hi. Verse 14, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Verse 14 says, experience the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, church. He says, church, have you experienced that grace yet? Have you experienced that grace and forgiveness of Jesus? 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that through him, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. That's the paradox of the cross. So it doesn't make sense. The God who had everything became nothing so that you might get it all. Yet for your sake he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Paul says, the grace of our Lord, he says, experience grace. He says, experience the love of God. 
everything from the gift of Jesus to, the, to our daily provisions. He says, experience the love of Jesus, the love of God. Experience that, that God loves you so much. He's not up there being critical. He's not up there judging. But he is a value. There is this, he is looking. There is, he, he does see sin. It's not like he's blind to it. Romans 8, 38 and 39, Paul writes about God's love. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing can ever, ever, ever separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, experience the love of God. Nothing can separate you from it. He says, experience the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that you will be able to live this life. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that you will be able to examine and test your own heart and allow the Holy Spirit to say, here's what needs worked on. And what's nice is the Holy Spirit doesn't say, hey, I need you to decorate this whole stage by yourself. Figure it out exactly as I want it and then walk away. And then he doesn't come back and say, fail, 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 fail. You did it all wrong. And he says, hey, this is the life you're called to live. Let's walk and do it together. Let me give you the power to live it every single day. Let me empower you to be able to love your neighbor as yourself. Let me empower you that you might be gentle. Let me empower you that you might be humble. Let me empower you that you might be a good mom, that you might be a good dad, that you might be a good, good coworker, that you might be a good brother, that you might be a good sister, that you might be the man that I've called you to be, that you might be the woman that I've called you to be. Let me empower you. Let me, infill, and let, me, and let me fill you with myself so that you can have the power to live. Experience the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Trying to do all these things on your own, you will fail. You will run out of strength and you will lose spirit. It will only lead you to disappointment and failure. The spirit in you calls to God. It guides you in life. And some of us, we've turned that voice down so much. We don't get plugged in at all. The other day, my scion died at 67th Avenue in Thunderbird. She died right in the intersection. I guess it's one of my wife's biggest fears. I was like, eh, whatever. I just didn't want to get hit. You want to know why it died? My battery wasn't getting power. The alternator died. When the battery doesn't get power, the car doesn't go. Some of us, you're like my car, and you're stuck in an interception, intersection, and you're wondering, why am I not going? Why am I not thriving? Why, why does sin constantly have power over me? Could it be that you haven't plugged into God lately? 
Could it be that you've been running on your own? Because what happens is the battery gets charged by the alternator. For those of you who don't know, this is how it works. The battery gets charged by the alternator. The battery holds a charge for a period of time until it has no more juice left. And when the alternator's not working, it doesn't keep recharging the battery, and the battery will just die. It doesn't matter if it's a brand new battery or not. You can have a brand, you're like, but my battery is brand new. It doesn't matter. If the alternator, the power source that's helping that battery stay charged, if it's dead, you will be dead. That's what happened at 67th Avenue and Thunderbird. On my way to DQ. Did it stop me from going to DQ? It sure didn't because my wife was right there coming through. But now I got to get an alternator because you know what? My car won't go without it. Some of you. It's time to do those four things. It's time to repent. It's time for refinement. It's time to reflect. And it's time to live the way God's called you to live. And it's only done in the power of the Holy Spirit. How does that work? How does being power of the Holy Spirit work? It's, it's daily prayer. That fills you up. It's communion with people that are like-minded, that believe in Jesus. It's coming to church with an attitude of, God, you are so good. It's not a, God, what are you going to do for me today? It's, God, you are so good. I need to worship you today. That, that's the attitude. So many people, we come to church, and this is why people leave church, because we come with the attitude of, God, what am I going to get from you today? Is the preacher going to be good enough? Is he on today? There's so many days that at the end, when I'm like, I'm, God, I'm like, God, thank you so much. It's not dependent on me, because that sunk. I can't tell you how many times I'm at the end of that. I'm like, oh gosh, that was. This, this job, when, you, when I really think about like creating content every week, it's sort of weird that I do this because if you knew my grades in school, I was terrible at everything except for maybe PE. I'm like my son. PE, give me PE. If PE was life, I just played all day. But there are days where I'm like, but you know, it's not dependent upon me. It's you going, God, I'm here to worship you. And when our eyes are here, the Holy Spirit fills you as you worship him, as you fill up with God's word, as you read it, as you pray, as you're a community with other believers, you get filled up so that you can live. So church, I don't know where you're at on those four. I think those four could be a daily thing for each one of us. Repent, refinement, reflection, and righteousness. Because you believe in a God who is so good, as it says in Romans 15. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we can't do this on our own. 
God, we need you. Holy Spirit, fill us. Some of us, we've been running on our own battery for quite a while and we're dead. Fill us with your power, with your light, so that we might live as you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to click the follow button and tune in next week for another great message.